the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Is there someone who you look at and, and you go, you know what? This person is a constant thorn in my side. I need to pray for them to be saved. Or if they are believers... I need to pray that they'll grow spiritually. I need to pray that God would bless them. I need to pray that their relationship with their spouse would be closer than ever, that their relationship with their children will be great, that God will bless their business, that, that they'll have a meaningful quiet time. These are the things that we're talking about. My pastor years ago when we lived in Ohio had two sons who were less than a year apart. Oh my, those boys sure did fight. And when they did, their dad would make them sit on the couch next to each other with each one putting an arm over the other one's shoulder. It was probably harder on those boys than a spanking. But you know what? They eventually learned to love each other. Acting in love often spurs feelings of love, and one of the most powerful acts of love is prayer. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our Bible teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, and today he'll wrap up another message in this series. In today's text, Jesus tells us, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that's a high standard. If God's love was determined by loveliness or attractiveness that He would find in in the object, He would never love us. His love isn't isn't based upon being loved first, or else He would never love us. His love saw all the hatred, all the pride, all the lust, all the wickedness lying in our hearts, And in spite of that, he took specific action in order to rescue us from our eternal predicament. He met our greatest need, which is forgiveness of sins and his righteousness placed on our account. That's the same way in principle that we are to love our own enemies. We are to take action by doing specific things for them that are in their best interests. That's, that's the point, regardless of how you feel. For example, you don't have to like the person who viciously attacked you, either verbally or physically, to love that person. And you don't have to have warm feelings towards that individual who slandered you or gossiped, you, gossiped about you or criticized you behind your back to love that person. And you don't have to have fond thoughts of someone who has made life miserable for you, but by God's grace, you can love them regardless If you understand that that love means that you work towards tangibly helping someone in need. If they have a need and you can meet it, you're showing love. 
That's, that's what it's about. See, in, in loving others, the question that a believer should never ask is, whom shall we love? Rather, the question he should always ask is, how should we love? It's not whom shall we love, how shall we love? And that's precisely why the Lord goes on to give some very practical and specific ways that we can love those who are personally antagonistic to us. Notice, we continue in in verse 44. As we just uh, read before, we stopped, but let me continue. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, in this statement, Jesus gives us not the only way, but but one tangible way that we can show our love for those who are enemies of the gospel and those who have persecuted us because they are enemies of the gospel and now they hate us as well. They hate us for being in Christ. This persecution can come in a number of, of forms, This persecution could come in the form of an obnoxious neighbor who's gossiped about you to others because they don't like it that you're a believer. They resent it. It could come in the form of a fellow worker who just takes delight in in verbally jabbing at, at you because of your faith, putting you down, belittling you. It could come in the form of a rebellious grown child who continues to reject everything you stand for in the gospel. Could come in that form. Could come in the form of an unbelieving spouse who just ridicules you for your faith in the Lord. And it might even come in the form of a fellow Christian who resents the way you live. Something you've done. They just resent it. So regardless of the means by which persecution comes to us, Jesus tells us that one way to love those who who persecute us is to pray for them. Now, what does he mean by this? Does he mean pray that the judgment of, of fire would just fall upon them? That's what you feel like praying. Lord, you know how wicked they are. They don't deserve to live. Take them off the face of the earth. The fires of judgment. Pray that they go financially bankrupt. No, that's not what he means at all. You know what he means? He means pray for their salvation. Pray for the salvation of your persecutors. Now, how do we know that that's what he meant? Well, because there was a time when Jesus reacted to two disciples of his who wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume those who hated him. And I want to show you this. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Beginning at verse 51, we're told this story. When the days were approaching for his ascension, meaning that he would shortly die, be resurrected, and then ascend to the Father, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Now, remember what I told you, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. And now the Lord sends messengers to a Samaritan village to say, uh, the, the master is coming, we need provisions, we need a place to stay. Verse 53 says, but they did not receive him. You imagine they didn't receive the Lord himself, the one who created them, because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. By traveling towards Jerusalem, their attitude was, you know what? He's making a strong statement against our religion because we have a worship center right here. We have Mount Gerizim. We have a whole religious system. He's rejecting us. He's rejecting our beliefs. He's going to Jerusalem. Now, verse 54 says, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now listen, these boys who were brothers were not called the sons of thunder for nothing. That's why Jesus called them the sons of thunder. They were not 
you know, nice little gentle lads. We often think of John in, in an effeminate way. John was a, th- a son of thunder. And John, along with his brother, said, all right, Lord, we'll pray and fire will come down and consume these people who've hated you. Now, Jesus didn't, didn't say that they should do that at all. In fact, he rebuked them, verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And I, and I say to you that anyone who believes that when Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, that he meant pray that bad things would happen to them, you don't know the spirit that you are of. Because the heart of Christ is not to destroy people, not to make life miserable for them, but to save them. So we're to pray for unbelievers to be saved. Those who persecute us, that's the greatest thing you can do for them. Now, the question is, do you do that? Or more significantly, now that you know this, will you do, will you do that? Is there someone who you look at and you go, you know what? This person is a constant thorn in my side. I need to pray for them to be saved. Or if they are believers, if they are a believer, I need to pray that they'll grow spiritually. I need to pray that God would bless them. I need to pray that their relationship with their spouse would be closer than ever, that their relationship with their children will be great, that God will bless their business, that, that they'll have a meaningful quiet time. These are the things that we're talking about. Say, I don't like that person. So what? Pray anyway. Jesus prayed for his enemies. You think he liked them, those who put him on the cross? You think he had the warm, fuzzy feelings towards those who tortured him? And yet on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Stephen, the first Christian martyr, prayed on behalf of those who were murdering him. While they were murdering him, he said, God, don't hold this particular sin to their account. And each one of us, if we're followers of Christ, we are commanded to pray for those who are hostile towards us. We're commanded to pray that they be converted and experience God's complete forgiveness. How, how about that person who's been nasty to you? How about that person who um, maybe had a little road rage towards you? How about that person you've had some road rage towards? I mean, God's just telling you, go opposite your feelings and pray for their salvation. We all have people who we, we really don't like. Pray for them. So we know that one way to demonstrate love for our enemies is to pray for their salvation, but that's not the only way. In Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6, we're given his account of the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke actually tells us some things that, that uh, Matthew doesn't. And one of the things he tells us is in verse 27, he said that Jesus said, do good to those who hate you. So it isn't just praying for them, though that's part of it. We're, we're now to do good. And then it's just expanded. It's broadened. Do good to those who hate you. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans 12, verse 20, by giving us some very concrete ways of doing good to our enemies. He wrote, and and we quoted this in Proverbs, if your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In other words, love your enemy by doing whatever is necessary to meet their needs. Now, there's any number of ways you can do this. It could be helping someone financially. Someone you've, you've had problems with, maybe have, ha, they have financial needs. Help them. It could be by showing some concern when they're ill. Everybody gets ill or a loved one in their family gets ill. How about visiting them in the hospital? How about sending them a, a card of encouragement? How about a phone call? Could be by taking an interest in their lives, especially if they're lonely. 
asking questions about them. They've been, they've been cantankerous towards you. Be kind to them. Ask them questions. It might mean buying them something that you know they need. They're never going to tell you that, but you, you've observed it. You know they need it. You know, there are just any number of practical ways that you can, you can love those who don't love you. The principle is find the need, find the need they have, and just meet it. If you can meet it. If you can't, then, then don't, but, but pray for them. But if you can meet their need financially or in some tangible way, physically, then do it. Now, why? Why in the world should we do this? Why should we love and pray for people who, who think so, so ill of us, who despise us? Jesus proceeds as he brings this chapter to a close. He proceeds by giving us two reasons why we should love those who don't love us. See, God often doesn't, he doesn't just tell us what to do. He, he most of the time tells us why we should do what we should do. And that's the case here. First reason is found in, in verse 45. This will give some substance. This will give you some motivation. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What the Lord means by this statement is that when we love our enemies and show that love by doing something beneficial for them, like praying for them, then it indicates, it reveals that we are indeed genuine sons of God the Father. And we want to be careful that we don't misunderstand this. Jesus is not saying that, that to love an enemy makes one a son of the Father. He's not saying that at all. That would be work salvation. Now, this is just a very Jewish way of saying that, that if you love as he loves, then you will evidence that you are like him, that you are indeed a child of God by his grace. In loving those who are our enemies, we resemble our Father. We show the, the fact that his nature is within us because he loves his enemies. How does God demonstrate his love towards his enemies? Well, we looked at Romans 5 about Christ dying for us. But notice what he says. What beneficial deed does God do to people who are his enemies and, and who will probably, most of these folks, never come to, to faith in him? Jesus said that the father causes his son meaning the sun, sunshine, to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, meaning that God shows his love to his enemies every day by giving them sunshine and rain. Why do you need that? You got to grow crops. You need crops to eat. God shows his love by providing food that sustains those who hate him. Not only that, it warms the sun, warms the atheist as much as it does the Christian, right? And when he sends rain, it falls on blasphemers as much as it does on, on believers. Theologians refer to these in, indiscriminate blessings from God. We, we give it the name common grace. It's not salvation grace, but it's common grace, just common to all. That's the way God is. He gives grace in the form of rain and sunshine to grow food on this planet so that even those who, who hate him, those who are ungrateful, those who are indifferent, those who curse him out, they're sustained by the very food that he provides. Folks, that's, that's kindness. He meets their greatest need to survive, food. That's the way God shows love for his enemies. And he continues to do this. He meets their need by giving them food so they can continue living. And the point that, that Jesus is making is that when we love our enemies and do good things to them, we resemble our heavenly father in that we give evidence that we're his children and have that nature of love 
that's been placed within us at salvation. Those who don't do this, those who are not interested at all, have never, in loving their enemies, have never been converted. Now, I'm not talking about struggling. If you struggle in this area, that's a good, a good sign that you are a believer. But if you disregard this, if it's in one ear and out the, the other, and you read this, I don't care. I don't, I'm going to be as unforgiving as I've always been. I'm going to be as hateful as I've always been. I'm not changing. And you've never been changed by the Spirit of God. The love of God does not dwell in you. Every believer reads this and feels convicted by it and says, I will change. I will do what God says to do. Unbelievers, Pharisees read this and somehow, just like their counterparts of the first century, they justify why this doesn't apply to them. Now, there's a second reason Jesus gave for loving our enemies. It's found in verses 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? It's implied you have none. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. In these two verses, Jesus identifies two groups of people who were considered extremely sinful, extremely ungodly. Therefore, they were out of, outside of God's mercy and his grace. Jewish tax collectors were very greedy men. They were corrupt. They were essentially crooks, traitors who worked for Rome and, and really stole from their own people. He mentions them. And he also mentions Gentiles. And by that, he just means outright pagans, unbelievers. And yet Jesus said that even these ungodly tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, and ungodly Gentile pagans, they love those who love them. Now, what's the Lord's point in telling us about tax collectors and, and Gentiles loving others? Why, why should we even be interested? Why do we care about that? Well, his point is this. If the only people we love are those who already love us, then big deal. Big deal. Even non-Christians love like that. That's his point. So what's different about you? What virtue is that in loving those who love you? Unsaved do that. That's normal, and it is. Non-Christians love their family members, their friends, just as much as believers do. They have the same kind of love. In other words, the Lord is saying that as his followers, our love is to be more than the unsaved. It's to go beyond them. He calls us to to be different from other people. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the real theme. Be different. God doesn't call us to love on a mere human level. We're to love on a supernatural divine level, and that means loving our enemies. And in doing that, we reflect that we are children of God because we love the way he loves. And that's why Jesus concludes this section by exhorting us to be just like our heavenly father in terms of love. Look at verse 48. I think this is very a misunderstood statement. Don't be alarmed by it. Therefore, here's his conclusion. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, Jesus, the reason I say don't be alarmed is Jesus is not saying that we are to live at a level of sinless perfection as God the father does. That's an impossibility. That's an impossibility. God, by his very character, is perfect. We can't be that. But we are not called to be that. The word perfect means, in the Greek language, mature, complete, full. And Jesus is using it here as it relates to our love. That's the context. In other words, the Lord is telling us that in loving others, we are not to settle for the very immature, underdeveloped love that the world has. The love that, that only goes so far. The love that, that only loves those who, who love us first. That's incomplete, immature, 
non-developed love. Instead, our love is to be mature, to be full, it's to be complete like, like God the Father's love, so that like him, we love not only those who, who love us, we love our enemies as well. That's what he means by perfect, full, complete. Listen, all believers struggle at times with loving their enemies. And sometimes it's a very intense struggle. But true believers, here's how you know, am I really a safe person? Do I really know Christ? True believers recognize this struggle and they eventually repent of their personal animosity. And by God's grace, they make every effort to pattern their love after the Father's love by meeting the needs of those who are hostile towards them. They do something about it. They become doers of the word and not hearers only. But as I said before, if you listen to this and you're not remotely interested in obeying this, then I have to tell you, you've never been converted. I, I, don't, I don't care uh, that you have a profession of faith, that you have a testimony that, uh, that sounds good. I don't care that, that you're, you may even be in a ministry. I don't care that others may be very impressed with your spirituality and think, oh no, this person must be a believer. If you can read this and hear this and it doesn't register that you're going to repent and do anything different and and you're going to be as unforgiving and as hateful as you've ever been, then you have never been converted. A converted person is a person who's had a changed heart. You still need your heart to be changed. Converted person is a person who has God's love placed in them. Yes, they struggle with their own flesh in loving an enemy, but they will, avenge, they will do what's right. Their desire is to do what's right. But if your love is, is limited to those you personally like or those who treat you well or those who you feel very comfortable with, then you're just like the lost Pharisees. Just like the lost Pharisees. Uh, are you religious? Yeah, but they were too. Did certain things change in your life? Uh, yes, I gave up this, I gave up that, but, but they probably did too. But their hearts were never changed. That's what Christ does. If you have no love for other people at all, especially your enemies we're talking about, then you need to be saved by the Savior. So that he'll not only forgive your sins, but he'll change your heart so that you will become capable of loving others. Let's bow for prayer. If you have never trusted Christ I urge you to do that. Become a son or a daughter of God. If if you don't, if you've never repented of your sin, you've never trusted Christ to forgive you, you are one of his creatures, but not one of his children. We only become children by faith in Christ. I urge you to do that. And, And by faith, we mean faith alone, not faith in your church affiliation and in Christ, not church and not faith in your baptism and in Christ, not faith in your good deeds and in Christ, but faith in Christ alone, that he died for your sins. If you believe that and you trust him to save you eternally, and you repent of your sin, especially the sin of hatred. And if you're a believer, then I urge you to, to make plans, implement this. What can you do differently starting, starting now? Who can you pray for? Make a prayer list so you'll remember to pray for, for someone who's your enemy every day. What can you do? Is there some, some, something you can give to an enemy? Some encouragement? Some way of, of meeting a need? You need to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom to know how this applies to your life and then wisdom to know how do I implement this? Application needs to always be followed by implementation. I urge you to do that. 
Father, thank you for this portion of scripture, so practical, so helpful. And Lord, we do feel like C.S. Lewis said, we've been beat, pounded upon by a sledgehammer, but it's a good sledgehammer. And it's a sledgehammer that leads us to the truth. The truth also found in the sledgehammer, beating us and directing us to correcting this. Lord, help us to love those who don't love us. Be kind, to forget our feelings and do what's right. And I pray for those who may not know you, Lord, that you use this to reveal to them that they don't know you, that they need salvation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is definitely convicting, but it's also life-changing if we will apply it to ourselves. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, featuring the expository teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out about Lakeside by going to their website, lakesidechapel.com, or call 727-441-1714. I'd also like to invite you to explore the Verse by Verse website, versebyverseradio.org. There's a huge collection of previous broadcasts on the Message Archive page, as well as giving information on the giving page if the Lord is moving you that way. We're thankful for all the generous people who help us stay on the air. That's versebyverseradio.org. Speaking of giving, sometimes we give for all the wrong reasons. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to come back next time as Pastor Steve launches into his final message from the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll consider our motives for giving. to give you strength between three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.